All right, so this is an episode I did with James McSweeney. Now, James is one of the early guys in The Ultimate Fighter, but before that, he was one of the early guys, um, you know, at the Glory Kickboxing Gym. He trained with all of those great fighters in Holland, like Alistair Overeem, Gilbert Ivel, um, you know, Ernesto Hoost, you know, uh, Sammy Schilt, you know, on and on and on, all those great fighters that trained at... Uh, you know, the Golden Glory and other kickboxers in Holland. And uh, so we kind of talked about the early days of him uh, going to Holland kind of as a person who was from the UK. He even talked about the fact that he was uh, basically homeless for a period of that time. He was like uh, sleeping on people's, uh, he was sleeping on people's balconies. You know, when they would go to sleep, he would crawl onto their balcony and sleep there, you know, on the lower floors. And, you know, just outside the room and stuff, which is pretty wild. And uh, now he has a gym in a, a place called, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, out just outside of Dallas. And uh, I went there. It's called McSweeney Martial Arts. Uh, nice gym. It's in Plano, Texas, actually. And uh, nice gym. And uh, so I was really interested to talk to him about those old days and the early days of Holland. So this is uh, James McSweeney. Check it out. your invite <clears throat> hey james how you doing i'm up buddy how are you good how are you so i appreciate yeah, you good. taking the time to do this i know you're busy and all um, oh no it's no problem i'm sorry i missed you last week no no it's quite all right um you know i kind of wanted i know you probably talked about your background a lot but well maybe we could kind of talk a little bit about when you started just for people that may not be familiar with you, you could yeah for sure uh, when I when I originally started uh, yeah. martial arts, um, okay, um, yeah, I started when I was about five, six years old. I think I was around five, and uh, just like anybody else, just get into um, hobby. You know, I was a, I was a, a very active child, so I had a lot of uh, different hobbies. I went from judo to kickboxing, kickboxing to muay thai, and then, yeah, as it just kind of grew. Uh, from a young kid, just uh, I was playing soccer as well. I was always playing rugby at school. I was always interested in. Uh, all different kind of sports. I was very athletic, but um, yeah, my physique wasn't athletic as a kid. I was always overweight as a child, um, but people couldn't really believe I could do what I could do for my size. But um, yeah, what didn't get really serious for me until my teenage years, I started to have like more smaller fights and stuff like that inside my club. And then, yeah, um, opportunity to go to Thailand, trained in Thailand as a, as a kid, came back, um, trained with um, another good friend of mine, unfortunately, he passed, uh, Chris Ballard, trained with him for years. Um, and then, yeah, it started to get real serious for me. Then we started to go over to Holland, trained in Holland, and uh, I've been training in Holland my whole career. Um, uh, started off in uh, kickboxing, went to Muay Thai, Muay Thai back to kickboxing, kickboxing the K1. And then um, in the late, uh, early part of the 2000s, K1 was kind of struggling and uh, got the opportunity to go over to America to train. Uh, had a couple, I think I had one MMA fight or something like that. Uh, I had a very fast knockout. I think it was like nine seconds in, uh, in London. That kind of put me out there a little bit amongst the MMA community. And I got opportunity to go to America, training Greg Jackson's in Albuquerque. I did that. And then when I got there, um, just kind of blended in with 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 them at Jacksons, 
And then uh, next thing I know, I was in the Ultimate Fight House. Ultimate Fight House led to a contract with the UFC. Um, then after my career with uh, the, my contract with UFC expired, I went over to 1FC. 1FC to KSW in Europe. Uh, KSW then um, fought for a, a load of different MMA shows all over the world. And then uh, just gone back now, uh, last year signed with Gloria. Now, I want to ask about Holland, because, I mean, Holland was such an important place, especially back then, for the fight game. Kind of tell me a little bit about when you got there, because it was such an influential place for MMA in the 90s and stuff, which is when you kind of went over there, right? Yeah, I went over there in, um, I think it was late 1990s, early 2000s, and um, didn't really have a home there at the time, just just try to find our way. We used to go to different gyms. I went with another guy from England called Gary Turner at the time. Um, and he was a, a K1 champion of the UK at that time. He was older than me and uh, kind of took me under his wing. We went over to Holland together. We trained, at, um, Jesus, a long time ago now. Where do we start off? Um I trained with Peter Arts for the first time and Rene LaRousse. Then we used to go to, um, yeah, we used to go to different gyms. But on Thursday night, we used to go to Lucien Carbine's gym to spar. And um, and I don't know why, like, we used to go, we knew why we used to go there to spar. It was fantastic. But I don't know why we didn't train there, like, doing techniques and stuff there. So we used to just go there for sparring. But then I remember the first time I walked in and just saw a whole gym full of murderers. It was like Alistair Overeem, Tyrone Spong, Gilbert Ivel, um, Rodney Vavirez, um there, the list just went on. There were so many good guys. Lucian Carbin was the coach. And these guys were just, like, I, I know I trained in, Hol in Thailand for years as well. And I, I felt like when I went there, I felt like I was a complete beginner. These guys just absolutely beat the piss out of me every day. And uh, so I was like, you know what? I want to be able to fight like this. So I um, committed to Lucian in the gym. I trained there for like six months. And I don't think anyone really spoke to me at all. And then um, after six months of really, like, you know, showing up nonstop, taking the punishment, not giving in. I kind of earned my stripes, took some big fights and uh, kind of earned my stripes for the gym. And then, yeah, I was taking him with open arms. Well, what was the difference or the disconnect between Thailand and Holland, do you think? Um, uh, do you know what? We have this conversation a lot, but uh, I lived in Thailand for six years prior to moving back to America. So um, I have a lot of experience in Thailand and um, it's just a different style. Um, the European style, the Dutch style, suited my personality. War. It was a bit more aggressive. It was more boxing, boxing knees. Um, yeah, good kicks, but they, they just put the fluidness of the combination together a little bit more uh, nicely, for my opinion. Uh, I like boxing as well. So whereas in Thailand, um, they don't box as much. Um, and then uh, it's more, there's more of a pattern to the Muay Thai kind of style, right? It's more of a beat as the way they walk, the way they march. Um, they'll throw three or four punches, stop, and then throw a single kick or single double kicks. Whereas Thai style or the Dutch uh, style kickboxing is like punch, kick, punch, kick, knee kick. Uh, there's always a good flow to the to the speed. Um, they go to the body a lot more. Um, yeah, this is a different kind of style. And it just, you know, everyone, it's like a restaurant, right? I kind of describe it like, um, this may be your favorite restaurant, but this is my favorite restaurant. We can still get along. <laughs> it's just a different style and taste. You know, uh, that was my tasteful style in fighting. And at the time, and even to this day, um, I think if anyone sees me fight or train, they would say I was Dutch style. Um, I've, been, I've been learning uh, Dutch style kickboxing for over 22 years. Um, so I pretty much committed my entire career to, to the Dutch style of fighting. So, um, yeah, I, I used to train in Holland from Monday to Friday. 
and then come home to England at weekends. It was a 30-minute flight from um, Stansted Airport in London to Schiphol. So I used to get up early Monday morning, take a, you know, a red-eye flight, like five, six in the morning, 30 minutes land in Amsterdam, go straight to the where I was staying, go straight to the gym, train for the whole week, come home Friday night. I would work security. I had a security company in London. And then I would work security all weekend, earn some money, and then go back Monday and do it all again. So I did that pretty much for like six or seven years straight. And then eventually when I came to America, of course, I couldn't really train in Holland as much, but I did used to fly my Dutch coaches all over the world to train me either in America or Thailand or Australia. They all come out to train me at the time. Well, what I mean is when you said that they were kind of taking it to you when you first went to his, their gym, you said they, you know, and you had been training in Thailand. What, was it because of the boxing that you had a hard time adjusting to what they were doing or was it just they were more aggressive? No, I, I was just kind of used to a bit more of a slower pace, like the Muay Thai kind of pace, the, the, the Thai, Thai pace and getting like the slow start, get faster as we fight, you know, and the Dutch just don't do that. They just come at you like <laughs> from the start. And um, I was just fascinated from low kicks to liver punches, from knees to the body, knees to the head. To You never knew that there was no pattern to what they were doing. If they were going to, like there was a fake kick, there was a punch coming. If there was a punch, there was a kick coming. If there was a knee coming, there was another punch. It was just like an onslaught of different techniques coming your way. And it was very difficult to defend about. And I found it very difficult to control the pace so i was um yeah i was hooked it just felt like yeah i needed to i needed to understand what this was i wanted to learn as quickly as possible and uh yeah it wasn't a quick process <laughs> i got my ass kicked for years now what's it like going over there you didn't know anybody right so you and your friend were kind of having to figure out where to stay and all this stuff uh, yeah me um gary kind of trained with us at lucian's for a while but then eventually he went his own path and I think he, he stopped fighting. He was a little bit older. Um, yeah, it was difficult because um, it was a predominantly, I, I think I've I got a picture in my gym. I, I look at the picture, there's like 20 people in the picture and I think I'm the only white guy there. Everyone was from Suriname Dutch. So everyone, um, um, and it was like, I was this big white tattooed, bald headed guy coming into the gym from England. So you can imagine there was a target on my back daily. So, and, 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 and you know what, uh, I, I understand why, because now being uh, trained in Holland for such a long time, you see such an influx of people coming in, taking their techniques and then leaving, you know, not really, really committing to the gym. So just take, 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 take and leave. So I see why they use uh, or give uh, foreigners a harder time to get into uh, the gym and commit because, um, yeah, there's a lot of people just come in, take and go. So, uh, so for this. So they come in and take the techniques and then they leave. And uh, so, yeah, that's not that's not good. You know, not, not people commit and then uh, they don't last too long. So they just kind of just walk in, try and get what they can get and get out. Or they don't test a period of time. So they use those people for good sparring. They use those people to beat up on a little bit. And then if they can less the test of time, they can pass the test or stay longevity then I guess they become a part of the team. So I see why that happens. And that also happens in Thailand a lot as well because um, – you get people going there for like, you know, 90 day visas, train a little bit, work with some ties, then go home and then claim that they're, <laughs> they're, they're you know, Thai, Thai style. But uh, no, you're just a tourist that paid a little bit of money to train with some ties and, you know, they didn't really give you the good stuff. They just gave you enough to get their one-to-one -one fee and that was it. So you kind of see that, right? Then they come back to their country, whether it's America or England or whatever, and they come back with some diluted Thai boxing and open up a gym and think they know how to teach Muay Thai. Now, who helped you find, like, a place to stay and stuff like that? 
wound up to at the early days i never had a place to stay uh to be honest i, I, I wasn't uh, i wasn't very wealthy at the time you know and i had a house in england but i never had extra money um i used to just go to um literally go to holland and i remember the first few months i actually slept on balconies <laughs> uh in the close to the gym where i stayed I, I never had i had a little bit of money it was either food or accommodation so I used to get a sleeping bag and sleep on the balcony of someone's. There's all these high-rise apartments uh, in in America. They're called in uh, you call them apartments, but in in Europe they're like flats. But they're high-rise, um, you know, council-given, cheap accommodation. You know, helping by the government. So um, yeah, from our side, I, I never really had a place to stay. But then after a few months, I think people started to realize I was sleeping rough. I'd go to the gym early and shower and brush my teeth and get. I'd be always the first person in the gym and then. I would kind of wait after and, and shower and then walk late and then get back to my place and take a nap when it was dark so no one saw me on their balconies. But eventually, uh, Lucian kind of um, picked me up and said to me, hey, uh, let me take you to where you're staying. And I was like, oh, no, it's okay. I'm, I'm just going to go and get something to eat. You know, I didn't want to tell him. You know, I felt embarrassed. And, um, and he's like, no, no, I'm going to take you to where you stay. And, and I, I, uh, I couldn't answer. You know, it was tough. So... Um, I just said to him, uh, well, I couldn't lie. I said, listen, I don't have a place. And he said, yeah, I know. Uh, you come and stay at my house. So I slept on his couch. And then me and Lucian got closer. And um, every time I stayed over there, then I would stay on his couch. And then eventually when I earned enough money, I, I would just get, I would get, uh, you know, years later down the line, it was years later too, uh, I had enough money to get like a little Airbnb or a place to stay. But I mean, like these people you sleep on their balconies, I take it you knew you knew them, right? Or no, no, they didn't. They didn't know. Up on their balcony, kind of. No, they didn't know because these are just like on the side. Like, uh, you don't you ever been to Amsterdam? There's certain places there that like different cities. This place was in Diemen, uh, which isn't the the most safest place in Holland. And uh, yeah, there was just there was just like high rise apartments, right? They're all stacked on top of each other. And they all have a little grill balcony. So I used to just hop the balcony at night when it was dark, just lay in the corner and a pillow and, and go to sleep, <laughs> and then before they wake up, get out quick. So no one ever came out and saw you? Uh, luckily, no. Luckily, no, no, no one ever knew that. Um, <laughs> maybe they would have helped me out or maybe they would have kicked me in my ass. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I never had no choice at the time. How long did you have to do that? I probably did it for over six months. Damn. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that no one ever saw you. You know what I mean? That's like well, I, I had to change, you know, I couldn't stay in the same place all the time because, uh, yeah, I was concerned that someone would see me and, uh, so, and, I, and sometimes depends. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really have anyone to go to. Same as when I came to America, when I first came to America, I, um, I came here with a, a very small piece of money and, um, I slept at Jackson's gym and, uh, we used to try and sleep upstairs in the gym. But when we first came over, it was, um, it was, um, it was kind of organized upstairs. There was like bunk beds up there and there was like fighters used to actually stay up there properly. And then after a few months of being over, uh, a new manager took over and it kind of changed and he kind of made it like a, like a hostel where if people were just traveling, anyone could just rent a bed upstairs. So next thing you know, it wasn't like athletes staying there anymore. It was just, it was just anybody. And this is going back, I know it's very different now, I'm sure, but this was going back uh, 14, 15 years ago when I first came to America. So eventually I used to just sleep in the cage uh, at night. 
And um, and I remember uh, it was so cold. I never had much money, you know. We used to sleep because they turned the heating off at night, you know. So uh, I didn't want to sleep up there with all the uh, people traveling around America. They, they were just young kids and uh, it wasn't the best kind of people at the time. So I used to go downstairs and sleep in the cage and um, just I sleep on a tie pad <laughs> with a, a hoodie and just go to sleep. And, uh, yeah, eventually I was very lucky that uh, some of the fighters, uh, Keith Jardine was a very good friend of mine, and they realized that I was sleeping kind of rough there. And, and then uh, they put me on to another friend, and we shared a house together at the time. So then they kind of I got on my feet, and I was in the UFC, started to earn a bit of money, and then it started to grow. How do you think Lucian knew that you were, you know, kind of sleeping on the... <laughs> um, uh, um, I think, you know, he's a smart guy. Um, you know, he's got certain... Um, street attributes he could tell probably i probably i stunk i don't know <laughs> but um i think he could just see that I would, I would be at the gym every i'm always early to the gym which is great but um i think that he kind of knew that like hang on a second this there's no he's always glad that the owner of the gym would say to him i think james has been here for hours he come here early he's had a shower he's been here for hours and then at the end of the day I would wait till everyone left so i could shower get changed and then like take the slow walk back because i had to wait until it got dark so I had nowhere to go, so I just kind of hang out in the gym, like just like <laughs> just killing time, just waiting to walk back to go and go to sleep. Now let's talk about Jackson's a little bit because this is another like you know kind of like Holland, another influential gym, especially at that time. So, yep. what was it like your memories of when you when you got there? Um, it, it was really cool. I mean, I was I was kind of blown away. I remember getting a, a phone call, and uh, I didn't really believe it was Greg Jackson. I actually put the phone down on him. <laughs> of course, one of my friends fucking with me. And uh, then he called me back, and I actually was like, oh, shit, it actually is him. So I was getting invited to go over there and train. And um, everyone was really nice to me. Everyone was really cool. Um, looking back on it, probably one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was leaving uh, back in my MMA career. I left to go to Denver. Uh, I was, you know, I was younger. I was 15 years ago. I was like 27 or something coming from London. I was a little bit hot-headed. And um, I made an emotional decision, which wasn't the correct one. And uh, I said, okay, I'm, after being there for like, I think it was like over a year and a half or something. I said, okay, I'm leaving. And uh, me and Greg had a, a disagreement and, and I left, which was, yeah, it was immature. And uh, I shouldn't have done it. Looking back, it was probably one of the, the more mistakes that I made in my career that I regret. Uh, and uh, being a little bit older, it's weird because I actually was trying to—I was actually trying to find his number because I wanted to apologize. Because um, yeah, I treated him a little bit harshly. I think I made a harsh decision, and I think that uh, being older and more mature, like you know, uh, you know, you deserve to uh, apologize to somebody. You know, if you make a mistake or you've treated them, you know, he, Greg was good to me. He trained me. Um, he, he gave me a, a looking back now on what I know. He actually probably helped me the most in MMA, um, mm -hmm. better than most other people did. And uh, but hey, you know, this is a part of the game, right? We make mistakes as kids. And uh, as now I feel, I'm, I'm 42 now, right? 42 this year. So being older, you know, you, you know, as a man, you should, um, if you did, if you did something wrong, you should say sorry for it. So, um, you know, I'm sure. I don't know if he holds any hard feelings. I'm sure he doesn't. Greg's been very successful and a great coach. But um, yeah, so it, it was a good gym, very good gym. We had uh, good guys were there when I was there at that time. Uh, Keith Jardine was there. Rashad Evans was there. John Jones was just arriving. Um, and there was just a, there was just a whole Cowboy Cerrone. I mean, there was just a whole gym full of studs. And, uh, yeah, yet again, just a foreigner coming in, not knowing anything about MMA. I had no MMA background whatsoever, trying to learn the ropes. And, 
yeah, it was, it was a tough road. It was tough because you go from being like, uh, I consider myself quite successful kickboxing back then. I had already just beaten um, a couple of very good guys like Michael McDonald, American K1 champion, and Takiri, the Japanese K1 champion. So going from being like uh, ahead in your field to going to being like zero in, in this new field was tough for the ego. It was tough, you know, and being young, your ego is high. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a rocky road for me. So you had to kind of just like, you know, go with what you felt at the time was best. Um, but yeah, I made a harsh decision and it was probably a mistake. Did you ever talk to Greg after that? No, we saw each other after, years later. And um, and we had no hard feelings. We shook hands. And uh, at, I think at the time I was, um, I was cornering... Um, Frank Mir when he fought Alistair Overeem, which was Alistair's my friend. So he was fighting Alistair for the UFC and I was cornering Frank. I trained Frank for that fight and I saw him backstage and, and I think Frank used to train with uh, Greg at then. So uh, we saw each other backstage. They were kind of talking. I saw Greg. We had a big handshake and hello. Greg's a cool guy. Big, always big smiles. How you doing? Very nice, personable guy. A big, big hug and uh, yeah. And there was no hard feelings. But even then, like we, I was in the middle of the changing camp, right? We, was in the, we were about to go out to fight in like an hour. So I didn't have a chance to sit down with him and have like, hey, Greg, you know, I, I just want to say that I apologize. I feel like this was a mistake back then. I was a young kid and, you know, uh, my emotions got the better of me and I made a harsh decision. But um, I couldn't because I was, in, I was there to corner Frank, right? So I was in a different mode. It would have been appropriate to sit someone down, have that kind of heart-to-heart -heart conversation. So we never got a chance even then. And then, uh, yeah, just time. Next thing you know, like this eight, nine years ago has flown by and uh, time flies, right? No, well, I mean, I know you may not want to say, but was it like a fight-related decision where you just decided you didn't want to stay? Or? No, it was, yeah, it, was a little, it, was, it wasn't just a fight-related decision. I, 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 um, I'm trying to remember what exactly what went down. It was kind of like... I think someone had asked me about one of the coaches there and I said, I think he's a good coach, but for me personally, it, 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 his style was completely different from working with me. And someone ran back to Greg and kind of made out that I was talking bad about that coach. And I really wasn't. I felt they asked me the question and I was trying to, I wouldn't, the guy's a very good coach. He just didn't suit my style. He was more of a, um, a traditional kickboxing style, if you like, and it didn't suit my style coming from Holland, which is quite uh, flamboyant and quite like um, high energy system, you know. Um, so instead of working with that coach, I worked with Phil Nurse, who was George St. Pierre's coach. He was English and he had a very unorthodox uh, striking style, too. So I just blended more with Phil Nurse than I did with the other guy. So I wasn't disrespectful about him, but I think somebody who asked me that question, I don't even remember who it was now, ran back to Greg and kind of gave him as if like, I said something bad about the coach. So then Greg, I think, went around the whole gym asking everyone privately, did I say something bad about this coach to everybody? So I kind of felt a little bit like, wow, I would never talk bad. I felt hurt. My feelings were hurt. And I felt like, wow, I'd never say something bad about the guy. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good guy. He just doesn't suit my fighting style. I tried to work with him, but we just we just didn't blend. You know, and that happens sometimes, right? It's like a dance partner. So not everyone is, uh, if you've got two leaders, it doesn't work. So um, I never said anything bad about him. And, and I, I took offense to that. I felt like rather than ask everybody else, you should have came to me directly and asked me. So my feelings were hurt. I was immature, young, made a rush to say, okay, well, fuck this, then I'm out. You don't trust me. You don't like me. I'm, I'm going. 
And that's what I did. And yeah, it was just a really, when I look back and say, even say it out loud now, it sounds so childish, right? <laughs> it sounds so crazy. But, um, you know, hey, sometimes fires, we're not the most level-headed, smartest guys in the world. We make some emotional, silly decisions. But being older, we learn by our mistakes and we try to get better. What do you think of, like, you know how the stuff that came with John and Rashad over time, you know? Rashad left because John was kind of rising <clears throat> from the outside looking in. You were there for probably some of that, right? But I was there for, I was there for all of it. Oh, um, I thought yeah. maybe by, before that it happened, but... No, no, no. I was there for the whole of it. And in fact, that's when I left with Rashad to go to Denver. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I had my... You don't need that, buddy. You're good. Don't mind. Just come in. Your brother, don't come in. Um, you know, it's okay. I'm on the computer. Um, yes, it, it, you know, everyone's going to have a different opinion. Um, Rashad has his opinion about it. I remember he was out... He was uh, upset about the fact that usually when a high-level guy was coming... I remember when um, Andre Alofsky showed up that we had a kind of a team meeting and, and they asked, hey guys, how does everyone feel if Andre wants to come and train here? Is everyone okay with it? Like other heavyweights, so forth, you know? And everyone was like, no, no, cool. He's a great guy. Let's have him in. But um, no one, we never had that meeting about John Jones. Greg just made the decision. And I think that put Richard's nose out of joint because he knew he was super talented. We watched him fight the first time he fought. We watched it at one of the coaches' houses. And we all said, "Wow, this kid's a, this kid's going to be a star one day." Like, "Wow, he's he's a like this is a, you know you could see his potential right from day one," and um, yeah, and I think Richard just took offense to that, and then uh, yeah, he didn't want to be there no more. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like <clears throat> you're talking about fighters and kind of how you have egos involved. Do you think it was strictly because? Greg brought him in or because you have another guy's kind of your weight, maybe he's going to fight you at some point. Well, well, there was other guys there, Richard's weight, like Keith Jardine was his weight and stuff like that. And there was other guys that were like heavyweights. Um, I don't think it was that. I, I don't know. I mean, looking back over long term, and I, my memory's not always the best, so I could miss out some details. I just think it was like Richard just won the belt and then did he just win it or did he just lose it? I think I don't know if he just won it or he just lost it. He lost it against Machida. Yeah, he just lost it against Machida. So he was already on a on a downer. And then um Yeah, I think it was like, are you gonna give all your attention to this guy? This guy's gonna be my future opponent one day, blah, 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 blah. And he just kind of made it all like, you know. And I think if uh, Richard is honest with himself, I don't know, I've never spoken to Richard in over I don't know, thirteen, fourteen years, we're no longer friends. Um I think probably he would look back and say that was the mistake in his career too. He seemed to very struggle in his career after he left Greg Jackson's. Now, what do you think about, you know, John's rise? You know, he becomes this great fighter, but he's kind of gotten in his own way in the last few years. Well, unfortunately, you can't put restrictions on. Um, I think if you've got exceptional, talented people out there, right, they're always a little bit crazy. <laughs> if you want to, like, list off some amazing artists like Van Gogh, people like that, there's some crazy stories about them kind of guys or amazing scientists. They're always a little bit out there, right? Um, I mean, even look at someone like Mike Tyson, amazing, creative, uh, fantastic fighter in his younger days, extremely wild and lived a party life and got himself into trouble. Um yeah, unfortunately, John is super talented and uh, even going through all that stuff, still had amazing performances. Just imagine if he wasn't hooked or, or have the monkey on his back, if you like, as in like uh, the 
the, the addictive personality, just imagine how he would have performed without those um, problems or situations. So he still performed to that level and beat guys, extremely high-level guys, um, you know, still going out party. <laughs> it's nuts. Do you think he's going to fight in heavyweight, though? It's been like two years. Yeah, you I think, think he will. Happen? Yeah, I think he will. What makes you think so? Because I have some people think maybe he's not going to. It's kind of dragging out. Well, yeah, it's been dragging out. I mean, I, I'm not coming from any inside information here because I haven't spoke to John in years either. So um, it's not a new fight. It's just a personal opinion. I could be completely wrong. So, yeah, it's just an opinion, right? So um, um, I just feel that um, he's been training uh, well for a reason. Uh, I feel that he's um, he's still in his UFC contract, right? That's not going nowhere for a minute. So it's going to happen one way or another. And the other thing is, like, I believe, like, his girlfriend or wife is no longer with him wouldn't it be hard if you're living alone with that kind of personality addictive personality to not maybe even harder right i can't say because don't forget i mean youth and we all learn by our mistakes so you may not learn like you know you can have one mistake won't learn second mistake try to learn third mistake i'm trying a bit better fourth is you know there is no book here right there is no like you oh but a fifth time you've got it you know um, some people learn by their first mistakes. Some people don't make any mistakes. And um, so who knows? But um, I can't say about his personal life at all um, because I don't know it. Uh, I just wish him the very best as an athlete. And um, for a guy that's so superiorly talented, it would be a waste um, to see him not compete again. Now, let's kind of talk about what you're doing in Plano. You know, how did you come across that area? I never even heard of Plano. <laughs> so I was in Thailand for six years, and then before that I was in the Gold Coast, Australia. And then um, all roads were kind of leading back to America for me. So um, my daughter was like into five, six years old, and the school system in America, in Thailand, wasn't that good. Even though it was a private school, it wasn't the best. Um, one of the teachers there actually got a bit heavy-handed with my daughter and, um, and, and hit her. So, uh, of course, so you can imagine I was furious and that kind of really opened my eyes up again to some things in Thailand for my child that wasn't going to match. But prior to the hell going to school, it was beautiful, right? Living on the vacation, eating great food, training hard in beautiful weather, earning good money and living, 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 uh, you know, cost the dollar was so good there, uh, living so cheaply, you could live like a king. So it was beautiful, but yeah, all roads were kind of leading back to America. So um, unfortunately, my wife had some bad news that a family member took him sick. And uh, and with the school system, it kind of was like, you know, everything's coming to an end. So we came back to America to see her family. When I came back, I thought, you know what, I need to kind of like reach out and see what's out there. So I set up a load of seminars. I think I did like 18 seminars across America and like 20 or something in, in uh, Canada. During my seminar tour, um, a guy used to always message me online, uh, like always asking me, hey, James, can you take a look at my opponent for my fights for me? Or my fighters have got this fight. And when I get chance at the airport, I would, you know, check it out and give him a message back and try and give my opinion or so forth. So he obviously saw that I was back in America. And the guy said, oh, I've got a business opportunity for you. I know you're back in America. You should um, come out to the, uh, Dallas and, and see my business opportunity. Can I have your number? And I was like, well, no, not really. <laughs> and I give my number out, like, what, what do you want? And he said, well, I've got this business, and trying to tell me online. And I said, listen, if you're serious, I get a lot of opportunities, right, on social media and so forth. And I said, if you're serious, fly me out, 
pay for my hotel. I'll come and check it out. And uh, we'll go from there. So, yeah, he did. He flew me out, put me up in a hotel. I got to look at this little gym. And uh, it was a lot smaller than he told me. And uh, when I actually stayed for a few weeks to look at the memberships and so forth, it, it wasn't what they told me. It was, it was all kind of fabricated. He just wanted to pass me over some debt, I think, and like, or get out of a lease or whatever and pass it to me. But during that time, I got to see the market research in Plano which where the gym was. I saw it was a very influential area, good 10-star school system, no real crime. And also no one with my background here. There was all these like little, small, little martial arts facilities where you did jiu-jitsu here, a low-level Muay Thai over there, and a bit of kickboxing here, and karate. And there was no real, in my opinion, good MMA gyms with anybody coaching that had a good background in MMA. So... Um, I went back home and said, uh, yeah, I don't want the business, but I'm going to open up this one. So I told my wife, we found the facility. It was 10,000 square feet. It's the biggest one probably in, in the town. And then uh, I come back, got it in October. We opened in December. And then uh, March, they closed us down for COVID. And then uh, lucky enough, we were in Texas, right? So we reopened in May. And I've been going full force for the last two and a half years. And how's it going, opening this gym in this area? Yeah, it's awesome. We're very fortunate, very good, very busy. We sign a lot of people, which has been great. Um, we've got a great clientele of members. Um, really has become like a nice uh, group, like a family, really. Everyone's uh, very helpful towards each other. Everyone in Plano has been really nice to me. And, um, yeah, it's just a good group of people, and uh, we all train hard. My fight team is doing well, growing, learning, growing, learning. Young guys coming through, some real high prospects, and uh, just enjoying the process. Now, what's it like being in Plano as someone from your, your background? <laughs> it's a little bit different. <laughs> but no, I, I love it here. I, I really do love it here. I just bought another house. Uh, we bought a house a year. My wife and I, we bought a house like uh, almost 18 months ago. Prior to that, I rented for the first year to make sure I liked the area. And then um, I bought a house. And then uh, I just actually bought another house with uh, a large plot of land. Uh, I want to actually put a farm on there and start doing my own food and crops and livestock and stuff like that. The property tax in Texas is pretty, pretty crazy though. Yeah. I just bought 12 acres. So yes, it's not cheap. Yeah. Cause I live in Oklahoma, but I do some work in uh, mortgages, you know, and uh, yeah. I get a lot of calls from people in Texas cause their, their mortgages are going up because of the property taxes and stuff. Everything's going up, unfortunately, right now. But hey, it's the, the whole of America's happening, right? So uh, let's not talk about politics. We could be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> like in Texas, they don't have state tax. Oklahoma, yeah. we have state. So the property wow. tax to get us on the state tax, and Texas, yeah, yeah. the property tax to get. Yeah, it's it's interesting how it happens. But sure, you know, as someone who grew up in America, I'm kind of familiar with like you know maybe how other areas of Texas are. So it's interesting that you ended up there. You know, yeah, but God, God uh, has always had control of me and my path, I believe, and uh, I've always tried to make decisions, but sometimes I think that he just laughs at me and, and guides me in a different direction. So uh, he's always done very well by me. If I was still in Thailand during COVID, we had no fights, no GMs open. Uh, I was in Australia. Australia had some very restricted COVID measures, which was uh, my gym would have gone under there as well. No fights, no traveling. So, um, yeah, Texas brought me here, and uh, I'm very fortunate that this beautiful state is open. We haven't shut down. We've no restrictions, and we're doing very well. Now, are you going to do some more fights this year? Or? Yes, um, I'm 
looking at being scheduled sometime towards the end of the year, I think maybe September, October. Um, I'm still signed with Glory, so I'm just waiting for them to give me my... In the meantime, I just train every day, teach my guys every day, train every day. So as you know, I'm in the gym right now, I'm working, training. But I've got some privates to go and teach. I've got my fight team to teach at 12.30. But uh, just enjoying training, learning, and then uh, when I get that call, I'm ready to step. Now, what do you think of someone who's been around the game a long time, of what you're seeing now, maybe of the overall UFC, 1FC? 1FC looks like they might be starting to make a move in the U.S., you know, with Abu Dhabi and all that, the ABCC. They're, they're going to be jointly working with them this year. What do you kind of think of, you know, what you're seeing of the MMA or the fight kind of overall fight scene? Well, it's definitely changed a lot, um, I, I, which is not a, a negative or, you know, it, it's um, – it's just different. I mean, I do miss some of the old days um, where there wasn't just so much, you know, politics involved. I mean, social media has took a huge part in the fight game nowadays, um, just in people's opportunities. And I mean, luckily for me, I'm an, I'm an older soldier, so I don't have to, I'm, I've already have my establishment for these young kids now to be established and be picked up. Like some of the UFC doesn't do this, but some of the smaller shows are like, how many followers does he have on Instagram? How many tickets can he sell? Like, fuck did that happen? What do you mean? It's your job to sell the tickets. Promoter is the promoter. The fighter is the fighter. Why has he got to sell tickets? It's your job to sell tickets, not his. But now it's kind of changed this way, right? So they're trying to make sure they're going to get popular people on their shows and who can sell the most tickets and this and that. But I mean, the level has completely changed. That's one really good thing about the sport is that it's evolved very fast. Levels changed. When when we started to do this, it was more like um, we came from like a certain uh, like a certain martial art. Like for me, it was come from Muay Thai kickboxing. Then I evolved into MMA, where the young guys nowadays just learn MMA from day one. They're just doing jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, wrestling, boxing, strength and conditioning. They're just learning the MMA from the start. So that's also This is why these young guys are just getting super talented. Someone's asking me to, he wants to see yeah, inside my... Yeah, like, uh, his daughter's top wrestlers in Oklahoma at uh, maybe 15 years of age. Yeah. His daughter's really outstanding. She's a champion. Yeah. And that's it, right? So that's like, uh, but nowadays these kids are just full force going into MMA from the start. So their level is really improving. They're, they're doing really well. They're growing fast. It's fantastic. So uh, that's really good part of the sport. Yeah, it's just changing. Like most things are changing. It's just evolving, getting faster, getting more equipped. Athletes are getting better. The nutrition's getting better. Uh, the format, the blueprint is, is getting much more defined and f focused on whereas before there was more tough guys out there more than talented. Now there's super talented guys as well as tough guys. So yeah, it's just coming up and it's getting faster and more furious and getting better, which is really, really cool to see. How many guys do you have coaching there with you? Uh, one, two, three, four, six. Six oh. coaches and, and me. Oh, okay. You just kind of find them in the area. Is that how it works? Uh, not really. I mean, some of them attracted, came to my gym to train. And then mm -hmm. when I saw them train, I knew they were kind of talented. And then they trained under me for a, a certain period of time. Then I let them start coaching with beginners and working their way up. Um, some of the black belts were already black belts when they came here. So, of course, they were already accomplished jiu-jitsu guys. We just started putting our systems together. So my grappling system and their grappling system started to build and experience. And we just started to build those blocks together. And then, um, yeah, a lot of the other students that I have or teachers that I have have pretty much been my students. 
Now, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I was just wondering if you wanted, if people wanted to follow what you're doing or there's anything you want to kind of uh, let people know about before we... No, just they can follow us on social media everywhere uh, at McSweeney MMA for myself on Instagram or McSweeney Martial Arts for my gym in Plano. But um, no, we're, we're very active on social media. We have our social media guys forward all the personal messages all come through directly to me. And uh, so I get, uh, if I don't get to see it myself, usually I'm busy, they send me what's directly mine, and then I'll go on and message everyone back directly. But no, it's just uh, thank you for everyone, as always. Uh, Want to take the time out of their day to even talk to me and ask questions, and then uh, I hope for anything they ask, I'm always going to give my answers, and uh, <laughs> I hope they like it. But uh, if they, it's just, uh, it's just what I know. I want to ask you one other thing. I lived in Japan, you know, for three years. I lived there, 2002 to 2005. I know you fought over there. What What do you kind of, maybe I always like to talk to you about what are your, kind of like your memories of Japan, just as we wrap it up. Well, Japan's beautiful. I mean, for the fights, for fighters, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, the culture's beautiful. Their whole history in Japan is about uh, respect and honor. They they come from a very big warrior background, right? So their their sumo wrestlers are seen like gods over there. The fighters that go there are very well protected and very well looked after. So um, yeah, it was really awesome. Um, just a very beautiful culture, beautiful people. I will never forget some of the arenas that I fought in there. With so many people, and we're just walking in, and when you it's so loud, and then once the fight starts, like it's silent. It's almost eerie. It's crazy. Um, but, yeah, it's very good. So, um, just, to, yeah, I actually, um, who knows? Maybe I'll get a fight there again one day. Yeah, it's the kind of thing, like, I feel nostalgic about, and I feel like a lot of guys that were there, they feel kind of the same way they miss it, you know? Yeah. Well, you missed the old days. Pride was fantastic. K1 was fantastic. Those those early days, the style of fighting was so aggressive and it was new, right? It was like primetime TV and, the, you know, it wasn't like now it's, the, I think the it's so saturated. There's so many shows on every week, whether it's locally advanced or TV, there's a show a week, which is great. But, you know, you never forget the old days when there was a big boxing match. You went around your friend's house. It was a big deal. You bought the pay-per-view and you watched the fights. Or when the UFC was happening once a month, you'd be like, wow, let's all, let's all go to the bar and watch and have some drinks and have a good time and enjoy these crazy fights. Or Pride was online. It's set up till crazy hours of the morning to catch a Pride event, yeah. New Year's Eve balls and new year's specials they were like really super special events so um yeah it's it, it, it's a, i mean that's really good nostalgically to look back it's a shame it's still not like that in my opinion but yet again i'm an older soldier as i say but um in general it's just um yeah involvement right you know, it's very good that the sport is so popular that's what we watch this stuff for is was to create it and to make it so popular and um, now it is so popular, we can't be like, oh, it's, you know, it's on all the time. Well, that's why it's grown, right? That's what we wanted. We wanted the sport to grow. We wanted it for our kids. I have a very big kids program in my gym. We have over 100 and something children in my program. Um, and, and that's what you want, the future stars of tomorrow. I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't really have to open a gym. I would have been very... Um, my wife would have been happy if I just retired and just sat back and and just trained and just sat back and you know. But for me, it's not this. Uh, I still I'm still very hungry to fight. I've still got fire in my belly. Um, I don't know if that'll ever change, but at some point I will have to step down. I think that I will finish. Um, I'm gonna have another fight with Glory. Um, extend my contract. I think I've got another year or two left in me. And then uh, I'll I'll just dedicate all I as I do now dedicate my spare time and my time to giving back to a sport that's been so beautiful and so kind to me. 
Have you heard about this tension to care fight that's going to happen next month in Japan? No. Like they're doing, they're bringing out the whole the big shebang again, you know, like four hour preview. Because like tension, he's never lost in kickboxing, and yep. to care, he hasn't lost in ten years. So these guys have been the same weight. They both live in Tokyo, but they never fought each other. Okay. So they're fighting like in a neutral promotion, not even yep. in their. He's in K one, and then tension is in Ryzen and rise i think so they're gonna have like four hour pre-show it's gonna be on national tv just like the old days oh, i think it's awesome. good yeah yeah it's beautiful amazing amazing i'll be i'll be tuning in to watch it for sure yeah you might want to check that out well i take Definitely. i appreciate taking the time i know you got privates coming up and all but uh yeah, I mean, yeah, it's me over there but i appreciate you guys having me on and of course anytime you need to just let me know all right i appreciate it it's great talking to you thank you guys Bus. Okay, so now you can follow James McSweeney at McSweeney MMA on Instagram or McSweeney Martial Arts on Instagram. And uh, as always, you can follow my uh, Instagram at the underscore Todd underscore Atkins underscore show. And you can also follow my YouTube uh, Todd Atkins show. And uh, as always, just uh, please subscribe to my content if you have time. Uh, it's all free and I don't plan on charging for it. And uh, I just want to thank you for all the support and uh, take care.